0: Although the characters we discuss are fictional, the challenges people face every day are not. The information we provide in this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you are struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Thanks for listening, and welcome to the Jedi Council Podcast, where we explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. Welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council Podcast. This is your graduate student co-host, Brandon Saxton.
1: And Katie Gordon.
0: Katie, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited for the topic of the day. And I'm doubly excited for our first returning guest special star (laughs) co-host of the podcast, (laughs) Dr. Keith Donahue.
2: Oh, uh, thanks. And I didn't realize I was the first returning guest. You it's, are. it's quite an honor. It's yeah. Quite a responsibility. <laughs> it is. What's, what's the uh, the line from Spider Man? With great power, power comes, comes great, great responsibility. responsibility. Yep. So I'll try to do my best.
0: Uh, we appreciate it because this podcast does wield. Uh, great power, just in terms of uh, wow. a huge <laughs> listenership of a few hundred. And, 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 yeah. You do it gracefully. Oh, we do our best. Uh, well, before we jump in for the topic today, I did want to do a quick shout out uh, to one of our, our most recent iTunes reviewers, which is something we used to do regularly. And sometimes, now that I don't use the iTunes podcast app, I don't check it as much. So I think I had missed this one. But I do want to say thanks to our friend, Gremlin1384, for leaving us such a kind iTunes review. I, I don't remember if we actually used to read them on there, but this one's so nice. I think I'm just going to read it anyway. And what Gremlin had to say is, As a social worker and a geek, it's great to see my two loves come together in an intelligent, entertaining show. I learned something new in every episode, both in terms of psychology and in seeing my favorite fictional characters in new ways. The recent episode on a... Uh, episode on borderline personality disorder and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was particularly insightful, and I just thought that was really kind uh, to leave such nice words. Yeah, about thank her on you show. so
1: much. That's that really means so much to us. That's really what we're trying to do. So it's great to hear that that um, when people enjoy the show, yeah, so I they thought get so something too. Out of it. If there was
0: ever a review that like captured the mission of the podcast, that was certainly it. And that was a really f- fun uh, show to cover too. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a good one. So. Uh, we really appreciate that, and if anyone else has a moment, we appreciate any other reviews. Um, and I guess while well, I'm thanking folks, we should also thank Dave on Twitter, who uh, actually uh, became a Patreon uh, or a patron rather on our Patreon. I sometimes I think I use those terms a little interchangeably. They're well, so
1: close. They're very close. One has Just, an e yeah. and a capital P. <laughs> exactly. otherwise They're the
0: same. Uh, but anyway, uh, Dave became a, a supporter at the Yoda level on our Patreon. That is the
1: top level. That's for the our top Patreon. level.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a, it doesn't get much higher than Yoda. On the Yoda.
1: Jedi scale, right. Yoda's got to be that's the That's pretty top. cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, to say thanks and as a reward for that tier of support, it's actually the whole inspiration for today's episode. So folks who come in at that Yoda level, what we have listed on there, I don't remember the exact word, but we will do a blog post and an episode about any character that you want. So when Dave uh, got in on that uh, that tier of support, we said, Dave, well, who's the character you want to see us cover? And he chose James Bond. So... That's right. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little James Bond, and I think particularly focusing in on Casino Royale, the 2006 uh, film.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so when I was re-watching Casino Royale, and Brandon and I were kind of planning for this episode... Um, my husband is a clinical psychologist, and also knows a lot about James Bond, and was kind of walking bios I was watching and trying to pull topics, and started making some commentary and some suggestions, and that's why we ended up inviting him just to come on the show because I think that Keith had a lot of interesting things to say, and we thought we should share them with everyone. Not I shouldn't be the only one privy to them. So.
2: Well, thanks, um, and thanks for bringing me on the show. Gosh, I, I don't mean to present myself as an expert on Bond, but like a lot of people, or probably like a lot of guys at least, I definitely went through a James Bond phase in my life where uh, my best friend and I watched almost all the then-existing uh, James Bond movies on VHS tape. And uh, so I remember those years and thinking a lot about the Bond character and in some ways um, looking up to him as an ideal of masculinity around the time I was maybe in junior high or a little bit younger than that. Um, yeah, and as an adult now, uh, I question that that <laughs> aspiration a little bit. Um, also, in talking to Katie, I remembered back to around the same time visiting some of our relatives in England, my mother's side of the family is English, and reading uh, just on a bookshelf in my grandmother's house some of the original Ian Fleming novels that were um, the uh, basis of the character and in some cases were the... The basis of the names of some of the films and Casino Royale is an example of that Casino Royale was I believe the first Bond book and I'm pretty sure I read it way back in the day and uh, I think it was published in like the early 1960s and was of course the, uh, the title for the 2006 film. So, um, again, not a scholar, but someone who has, um, I guess I was surprised to have a lot more memories than I realized about James Bond, the character. And again, being a bit older now, I look at that character differently than I did when I was younger. And that's probably true of most people who are fans of most uh, fictional characters. You, you see them through different eyes as you age and as your life changes.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Do they have a name for Bond fans?
2: Oh, not Bond to...
1: boys, Bond girls, <laughs> Bonders? <laughs>
0: I like all of those. <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's a formal one. Blondies. No. Bondies is good. Not that. really. <laughs> the James Bond fandom has a little work to do. Let's just put okay. it like that way. in coming up with a name. <laughs>
1: and we're results. taking suggestions if you have any yeah. listeners. Well, Brandon compiled a nice history. Keith touched on some of it. Yeah. So maybe we could start off with that. Sure, and just yeah. how
0: in-depth this character is. Well, you know, I did this when we did our Punisher episode and I sort of liked it. Yeah. I, yeah, it was just a re- I have a really quick rundown of James Bond just to kind of get, get myself in the mindset as we start thinking about the character in this and in our upcoming blog post. But yeah, James Bond, uh, as Keith mentioned, created by Ian Fleming, author in, in 1953. Uh, Fleming included Bond in 12 novels and two short story collections. Uh, after Ian Fleming passed away, eight other authors uh, wrote Bond novels after that. And beyond the novels, Bond's also been uh, in television, radio, comics, video games, and films. And And I actually happened to read that the James Bond film series is the fourth highest uh, grossing film series of all time, which is pretty impressive. Uh, in, in film, uh, James Bond was portrayed by Barry Nelson, uh, David Niven, Sean Connery, George uh, Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, and, and most recently, Daniel Craig. And just a quick sort of fictional rundown of the character. I, I assume most folks are familiar with James Bond if they're listening to this, but if not, uh, he's a British secret intelligence uh, service agent, uh, uh, MI6 agent. His uh, sort of agent designation is 007. He was originally conceived as a Cold War-era operative. He's got training in intelligence and special forces and martial arts. Uh, He really likes to use the latest sort of gadgets. He prefers his martinis shaken and not stirred. (laughs) Uh, He drives Aston Martin cars. He's portrayed to be typically pretty suave and charismatic, but sometimes is depicted as kind of being solitary and friendless, uh, despite this often depiction of pursuing women uh, who are... They have a name I saw as I was sort of reading up on James Bond. Is it Bond girls or Bond women?
2: I think Bond girls. Bond and girls. And yeah. Again, we can wonder about the choice of the word yes. "girls" in that. You know, Bond girls are. I think is the name given to basically all the the female um, love interests. If you want to be generous right. and call it that of Bond in all his movies, and it's funny. I think that phrase is often used as a compliment, and maybe it suggests you know an uh, attractive. Um, woman uh, but these are all characters or almost all characters who appear in one and usually only one movie and are are fairly disposable uh, unfortunately although in the case of both the novel and the movie Casino Royale the character of Vespa Lind is someone who has greater depth and Bond seems to have a much uh, deeper connection to and you could almost wonder if she breaks the mold a bit of those Bond girls, it
1: sounds like it. From I mean, I've really only watched the newer ones, so mm-hmm. I don't have much of a comparison. But in watching that, I mean, she she matches Bond when they're um, in the way that she reads people. What? I mean, so you really see uh, he's honest with her about the fact that you know the activities he's been engaged in have worn on him and mm-hmm. worn on his soul. But what he has left, he wants to give to her. So I I feel like there's an honesty. He allows himself to be vulnerable. And she's clearly a very sharp, fully formed person. She's not just an accessory to show him how debonair he is or how cool and suave he is or whatever.
2: She seems like an equal. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is interesting. I think in one of the first scenes in which she appears in the movie, which is uh takes place on a train, a really just exciting sort of classic image of these these spies mm-hmm. crossing Europe in a in a, the diner car of a very fancy train. Doesn't she size him up for a yeah. suit? Now this is something that appears in a number of the Bond movies. I don't think it appears so much in the books, although it's been a lot longer since I've read them where Bond will, because he's so suave, and because he's, I suppose, been with so many women, he'll sometimes comment on their their dress cut or he'll know what Mm -hmm. size they are and this is seen as again sort of like a very cool thing to do she reverses that it's one of the a handful of situations where there's kind of a gender or sort of a sexual reversal in this movie where she sizes him up for a suit and then i think also says something about wanting to grab his bottom which is obviously (laughs) a, a sexual come on which Is not the thing that, for the most part, the women in these series say. It's more Bond doing that. So she's his equal, um, probably intellectually. She obviously has a interesting backstory that's mysterious, like Bond's, and she also is sort of sexually his equal. She has
1: some sexual agency and interest. It's not just um, she's not interested, but he wins her
2: over or something like that. It's more like she's different from, 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 as far as I can remember, uh, from most or probably all of the other films. Yeah, that's my understanding
0: as well, is that really sort of has changed now, or that really hasn't been the case. And I, I don't think I've seen any of the older films, like pre-Pierce Brosnan time. When I was younger, I played 007 on the Nintendo 64, and that's where my sort of interest in James Bond came from. <laughs> so I kind of jumped in in the Pierce Brosnan era, mm-hmm. so which I don't remember. And I, if I remember right, those films are maybe not quite as great. But it's been a while since I've seen him again
2: it it depends. I mean, it depends on what you like and, sure. and as people would say, your mileage varies. I, I will say as a as a very early adolescent boy of a certain you know, at a certain point in my life, it really seemed so cool. You know, sure. Bond was the guy who was powerful he he killed when he had to. Women threw themselves at him or he was able to easily seduce them. He saved the day like a, like a superhero. Um, but with probably more sex violence than you'd see in a typical superhero movie of, the, of that time, or, or maybe still. Um, yeah, uh, the, the Casino Royale is interesting the way it sort of takes some of those older tropes of those movies and reverses them. One that I've read online, I, I can't take credit for noticing this at the time that I, I saw the movie, is there's a very particular scene early on in Casino Royale where Bond emerges from the ocean wearing a swimsuit, mm-hmm which is not exactly a recreation, but is pretty similar to the very classic image of the the original Bond girl in the original Bond movie, Dr. No, uh, whose character's name was something like Honey Rider, who appears in that famous white bikini with a, a diving knife, and she's collecting seashells on the island of Dr. No, and, and Sean Connery's Bond sees her, and it's, she's beautiful, he's cool, and that's the image in probably um, the movie poster at the time, it's interesting to see them sort of recreate that, except now Bond is this sort of, I guess you would say, the, the object of, of you know sexual attraction uh, in that scene.
1: You right. know, it, it, another thing that st- stood out to me in just watching it was that um, when Bond is actually when he's poisoned... And he's going to die. He goes right. into cardiac arrest that Vesper saved,
0: yes. uh-huh. saves
1: him. So it does. it's so interesting. We've, ta- we've talked a little bit about this before with um, Rich from Paradox yeah. Comics and Cards about how characters like Batman, who've been around for 75-plus years, and Wonder Woman, how they change to reflect the times. And uh-huh. sometimes, I mean, with Wonder Woman, some of the things were even, for the time, different. But it seems like Bond is a really clear example where it does reflect changing times and how the relationships are and the gender roles and how women are um, depicted. And so I think I, I got more intrigued hearing that background having a more shell understanding from just the more recent films.
2: And at the time this movie came out, or or thereabouts, I, I think there was generally this trend in a lot of movies to do a kind of a, a grittier take on the action hero. Like the Jason Bourne example is a good one. And the Bourne movies, I think, are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think initially watching the newer Daniel Craig uh, Bond movies, you get a sense of, well, it's just... It's a uh, you know Jason Bond. It's right. this kind of you know grittier, somewhat more realistic depiction of an action hero, uh, but I think there is more there, and and some of it involves playing with these sort of tropes or or kind of established beats from the earlier movies, and to some extent from the from the original source books. So one thing that I think that is really interesting about Casino Royale is the way in a lot of the the movie Bond is is on the losing end of things. Mm-hmm. You know, in a in the more I won't say classic, but let's say like the, <laughs> it's either the high point or the low point, depending on your judgment of these things. But let's say during the Roger Moore years, where sure. the action was incredibly over the top and, and the villains were incredibly villainous, who were men who were literally trying to destroy the planet Earth, Bond was almost always just winning. In every exchange, he's beating someone up or he's overcoming an obstacle. And But in a lot of Casino Royale, Bond is just losing. He, he literally loses all his money or almost all his money when he first enters the poker tournament in uh, the Monaco, well, in Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, he's, he's beaten, he's poisoned, and he does, in some fights, come out on top. He's captured, he's tortured, yeah. um, and is only saved by luck of, his, uh, of Le Chiff, you know, his nemesis being overcome by Le Chiff's nemesis. Mm-hmm. So Bond doesn't even really save himself. And of course, at the very end of the movie best who is his love interest and i think they really can be said to have fallen in love at this point she betrays his trust or at least we realize there's more to her story and he loses her and has to mourn for her so it's interesting in that way um it's still a fun movie there's a lot of action and bonza has some agency but he's much more of a a scrappy down on or back on his heels sort of down-in-the-dirt hero than he is in most of the other movies that I can think of, or again in many of the books as well.
1: It's interesting because when we've had these past conversations with characters like Batman and kind of different ways that he's been shaped, it's been thought to reflect current times and and what's needed. uh, And also, to give Rich credit for that, too, he talked about between Batman and Superman, when they vary in popularity, is it that we're more into the vigilante type mm-hmm. who's um, working on his own and all that stuff, or are we more into the more Boy Scout Superman type? And so with Bond, it is it is interesting that they uncover, like, he is he has a direct conversation about how he's negatively impacted by... this violence even though i mean it starts off with him just callously you know drowning someone in the Mm -hmm. sink and then shooting someone and he doesn't seem too bothered so it is interesting to add then that he is this is actually wearing on him Mm -hmm. another thing that you mentioned to me in terms of um roles is having m as his boss Mm -hmm. in the old movies who was his boss
2: Gosh, I forget the name of the actor, mm-hmm. but there was a particular actor who played M, who's, mm-hmm. who's sort of the station chief, or not the station chief, but the actual head of MI6. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is an actor who is a man, and he appears in, I think, almost all the movies. Um, and so it is, It's again, it's another one that's interesting, uh, I think, playing with or even reversing your expectations, especially around gender, that uh, M is played by Judy Dench, um, obviously an incredibly famous and accomplished actor, in this movie and in uh, the subsequent movie Skyfall mm-hmm. and indeed in in Skyfall, a lot of the the drama of that movie is um around Bond's relationship with them you know they're they are in some ways antagonistic they're in some ways almost like a kind of a mother and a son, and he loses her as well and Bond in some ways is defined by the loss of people in his life at least in these movies and to some extent in the book so for instance in the book that Casino Royale is based on, Vespa Lind, is all. It, the movie hews fairly closely to the book, which is unusual for the Bond movies. Most of the Bond movies just borrow the title and very little sure. else. But Casino Royale, the book, has a similar story, and in that one, uh, Lind also is being forced to betray Bond because of... Uh, because of her former lover being held hostage oh. in that movie, or I'm sorry, in that book, she commits suicide. Oh. And Bond, again, uh, grieves for her because he's at the point where he's considering giving up his life as an agent. Um, so, again, that's that's interesting because, for me, back when I was sort of 11, 12, 13 years old, watching Roger Moore you know, shoot people and push them into you know sort of like you know snow plows and bad guys are getting shredded and blown up he never really seemed too bothered by it and indeed there's a certain kind of a goofy mugging for the camera which you know makes sense if that's the type of action movie you like and i i clearly did at the time here in the newer bond movies it's interesting to see this image of a guy who seems incredibly kind of stolid and, and unmovable but yet who is suffering and is uh affected by loss uh, and that's interesting. And maybe that says something about our concerns over the cost of war or the cost of terrorism or just awareness that psychic wounds can yeah. linger longer than physical wounds. Um, maybe this is a, a concern that we have now that, that we as a culture largely didn't have, at least in our, our, our kind of our popular entertainments maybe a couple decades ago.
1: Or maybe uh, there's a greater desire to understand that depth. I don't know. And other times, you know, of course, these these problems existed, but sure, maybe sure. there's more interest in the psychology, the right. mental health versus the escapism of just the hero who has few flaws or isn't that affected by it or who, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing.
2: And you guys obviously spend a lot more time studying and thinking about, you know, uh, pop culture heroes and, and villains and, and just characters in general. Uh, to me, just as, as a casual fan, one of the things that attracts me to any character is a sense of their vulnerability yeah. and I don't think I'm at all unusual in that um a character who who is too invulnerable either physically invulnerable or, or kind of um emotionally invulnerable psychologically invulnerable after a while seems to me unrealistic mm. and uh, I don't know some, to some extent maybe that's just being a bit older when I was a bit younger that maybe that didn't concern me as much but now if Bond was just a killing machine um it wouldn't work for me as well um I mean, you've obviously talked about The Punisher as a, as a yeah. good example or a counter, uh, a, a similar example, I shouldn't mm. say a counterpoint to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there is some of that explored in the Punisher mm-hmm. Netflix series, too, a little mm-hmm. bit of the toll and some of the flashbacks that he has and memories. And I'm thinking, too, Keith, you got me thinking about this a little bit just in your line of thought and some of the characters that we've kind of seen in the last decade because Casino Royale was in 2006, too, and mm-hmm. thinking about like Jason Bourne was sort of similar to that, too, where He's kind of, he's losing a lot too. Mm -hmm. And that's the same with like Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. Mm -hmm. That Batman, he's always kind of losing and and just barely coming through sometimes to save the day. So it's interesting that we've had, I mean, that's just three examples. Of course, I don't cover all the movies that come out in the last 10 years, but there's been a movement in that direction, I guess, uh, in the last 10 years of heroes that, are more vulnerable and maybe a little bit more relatable in that way, and that they don't always win and they, and they can fail, and, and it's more about maybe perseverance and pushing through. I don't know.
1: And I didn't see American Sniper, but wasn't one of the themes that he had post traumatic stress disorder, but also had. I don't know. I thought that they took they showed some more of the toll of the symptoms. Sure. That
0: we're I did off. see it, and I'm not. Sh- I have the book too, but I haven't read the book yet. Okay, but I don't remember now. It's been a while.
2: Okay, I get that confused. I think a little bit with the movie Hurt Locker about mm-hmm. oh, the yeah. um, it was Jeremy Renner's character who plays the bomb disposal um, uh, you know, officer mm-hmm. who, who clearly has um, has PTSD symptoms, and it's interesting. Many of these movies. And maybe this bridges us a little bit into our discussion of successful psychopathy or, or just psychopathy mm-hmm. in general. Many uh, movies like this feature action heroes who are able to be fearless or mostly fearless, uh, so they can do things right. that I couldn't do, like they can defuse bombs or or you know leap over a cliff or you know you know survive you know shoot guns in a crowded room or things like that. But what's interesting is, although they're able to do this, there is some cost associated Mm -hmm. with it. At least some of these characters accrue over time, whether it's a a sense of isolation or a sense of not connecting with people um, or or an inability to form and maintain relationships. Mm -hmm. And Uh, I know that. And that's an interesting, I think that's an interesting dimension. Again, they're probably good examples going back for a very, very long time, but it's neat to see this maybe a little bit more front and center in pop culture now than I remember when I was a boy. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and recently, I know Brandon knows this, but Tom King, who is mm-hmm. um, is is going, this is, sounds cool, a lot of people in comics are excited about this, is going to start a DC universe-wide initiative called Sanctuary, where superheroes go to receive emotional support to process the trauma that they've worked with, and it can be some of the things that happen to them that kind of inspires them, but also as superheroes, the things they face and the toll it takes. So it does kind of go along this theme that, um, you know, how is Batman affected by the fact that he's doing you know that by his day-to-day type of work how is it mm-hmm. impacting him and you're right relationships is a, a big area where we tend to see that mm-hmm. and and kind of isolation um not connecting with others um so it, it's it is an interesting to see that if that also helps to destigmatize mental health problems mm-hmm. or struggles a little bit because these people are shown to have vulnerabilities Interesting. So um, you brought up a good point about the other area that that we wanted to talk about, which was um, potential successful psychopathy. Anything else that we didn't cover about the other topics? I don't think so. Okay. Well, then maybe um, I'll just tell people what psychopathy as a reminder is, even though we've talked about it, and that's a pretty common thing. Psychopathy um, and, and psychology is currently referred to, it's a, seen as a personality configuration of different characteristics. And those characteristics were um, tend to include things like being callous, lacking empathy, superficial charm, sensation seeking, it can involve lying, manipulation... So, um, sometimes, like when in our episode where we talked about antisocial personality disorder, we talk about how that's a general disorder that's characterized by people who engage usually in criminal behavior or some other kind of behavior that violates social norms. Um, but psychopathy really gets more to this kind of personality type characteristic, um, and it's thought to be a subset of people with antisocial personality disorder. Cleckley, Hervey Cleckley, um, identified a lot of these characteristics associated with psychopathy in his classic book, The Mask of Sanity, and the idea was that people who have psychopathy, he argued, could be um, suffering as much as someone with schizophrenia with a mental disorder and that their mind is working differently and it's affecting their behavior and their views of the world. But they have the mask of sanity because from the outside, you can't tell that, right? You can't tell that they have that. And um, it's interesting that it's called that because, um, you know, uh, last week, Leo, our expert guest mentioned, our, our guest expert mentioned that um, he worked with people who were found not guilty by reason of insanity. Um, but that does not typically include psychopathy or antisocial personality disorder. It's much more about being able to tell right from wrong. and reality, um, people with psychopathy will describe knowing right from wrong, but basically... not caring or it doesn't influence their behavior. There's a spectrum of psychopathy where on one hand you have people who are very callous and um, I usually, when I'm teaching about this, use the example of the serial killer Kuklinski, whose nickname was The Mm Iceman, aptly so. If you look, if anyone's interested in this, if you look on YouTube for The the Iceman Psychiatrist, which I think I actually heard about from Leo Becklemer in grad school, um, it shows you can see the high levels of psychopathy. Um, Many psychopaths have some of these characteristics, but are not necessarily violent. And there's a construct that some people have focused on called successful psychopathy, where they look at people who have this fearlessness, have kind of um, this ability to read people uh, and this sensation seeking, but they tend to use it for good. So maybe they're firefighters or police officers or surgeons. They don't, get nervous or anxious, they're allowed to focus and do these things, but they don't do negative things okay. towards people. And And we can um, link to this uh, neuroscientist, for example, who um, was studying psychopathy and found that he had um, a gene that was linked to psychopathy, and he said he had related to some of the callousness, but was basically, what, he was nonviolent and using it for good, so we'll link to that.
2: Sure. One of um, one of the, the kind of classic, uh, theorists and researchers in this area was a psychologist named David Licken, um, who I believe has is, is passed away now, but back in undergraduate uh, education, I remember reading his book, The Antisocial Personalities, where he describes from both a research perspective and a clinical perspective, his experience and his thoughts about different uh, types of um, antisocial behavior. And his theory of uh, antisociality and psychopathy is that much of it is rooted in a a low fearfulness, that thus merely being not very sensitive to being afraid can set people off on different paths in their development. Now, one person who is very low in fearfulness might not learn well from punishment, and if raised in a, a poor environment, meaning a poor environment where they're not given patient and careful parenting or where they are abused or exposed to uh, antisocial behavior by others and as modeled for them, that person could grow up to be antisocial in the sense of being not particularly fearful of punishment and willing to do harmful things to others. A different type of person who has a similar temperament, being low in fearfulness, but who is raised in a more supportive and loving environment, might head in a different direction, it might grow up being brave and fearless, but willing to. Uh, adhere to norms, and so I, I'm pretty sure it's in antisocial personalities. But at some point, I think Licken talks about the idea of a of a criminal fleeing down an alleyway and a police officer fleeing after him, and he makes this argument: these two people could be very similar. Just one has, you know, ended up on a path that heads towards hurting and harming; the other has headed towards a path that involves uh, protecting. Um, now, that's one theory of psychopathy, and there's a lot more detail, I'm sure, and, and uh, Katie and Brandon can talk about this probably more than I can. But that struck me very much as, as a, a reader in college, thinking that's fascinating, this this interplay between a basic quality of temperament, which is probably uh, very well very biological and genetic in nature, and upbringing and environment, which can create these rather different outcomes um, you know, the, the psychopathic criminal, perhaps, and the successful, if we want to use that phrase, psychopathic protector. Yeah, um, or, And the
1: Iceman and the psychiatrist, actually, at the end scene, the psychiatrist is explaining a little bit about the um, diathesis stress or genetic mm-hmm. and behavioral model. To the Iceman. So I I will link to that in our summary if people want to see it, because it kind of talks about what you're talking about, that maybe he was born with a temperament, but on top of it, he was raised by someone who was abusive to him when he was a child, who had a lot of aggressive characteristics, and that shaped him in a certain way. So I think that when we look at James Bond, at least the one I'm most familiar with, which is in Casino Royale, He's certainly charming, right? Mm-hmm. Um he has a, he certainly seems low on fear and right, kind of sensation right. seeking. Um he appears callous at least in some scenes. Now, as we were talking about, it's not all or nothing here. He he has there is a particularly touching scene for example when um Vesper, Vespa, Vesper. Uh Vespa. Vespa um she is um she's upset about seeing someone killed, and she's in the shower and crying, and she says she can't get the blood off and he sits next to her and is very loving towards her and puts his arm around her and holds her and then later there's a whole um before everything goes bad again, there's a whole montage of them together, and they're lying on the beach and you know he says, you know whatever is left of me is is yours, and all this stuff and it's interesting because. Before he met her, um, M says to Bond, like, remain emotionally detached, but I don't think that's a problem for you, is it? And, and he says no. But then, as it turns out, um, you know, when they're reunited, he does fall for her. He falls in love with her. And um, she says, you're not letting me in. You have your armor back on. And that's when he said, whatever's left of me, um, I'm yours. And... Um, So it's it's not you don't get the picture that all he is is this kind of uh, shallow level emotionality, sensation seeking type person, but that he's capable of cultivating deep feelings for someone else.
2: And I I remember when Casino Royale, uh, the 2006 movie, came out, uh, people who are you know real fans and aficionados uh, of of the Bond you know, sort of oeuvre, talking about this as being kind of like a return to form. And I think that's probably a fair statement. Um, In some of the early books, at least the ones I can remember reading, Bond is presented as this kind of um, rather emotionless man, almost to the point of being weirdly cold. And I think in in reading a little bit about Fleming, I think initially he imagined this character as being a sort of an Iceman-like character, not necessarily... A brutal killer in all situations, but just someone who has very, very little emotional connection to the world. That said, in literally some of the earliest books, including the book Casino Royale, there are these moments where even this man is able to experience love or or other you know other affiliative feelings. So it's an interesting quality of his character that was probably just not much on display through much of the movies about him, which again are can be totally fun and enjoyable. And I'm not trying to. To, to uh, you know take away people's uh, enjoyment of those, but I think they miss out on what's a very new feature of the character, but maybe in some respects a very very old feature yeah. of the character. His kind of his coldness that is in some way thawed, or his aloofness which is in some way you know bridged or connected to, and that makes him I think relatable yeah. in a way that maybe the more kind of uh, over the top versions of Bond were not.
1: I agree. I noticed that we have about five minutes left of recording time, so yes. I I know Keith and I have been chatting away. Brandon, did you want to weigh in on anything while I was... Uh,
0: you, you captured all of my thoughts perfectly. <laughs> I, I wanted to mention one other thing mm-hmm. that's unrelated to James Bond in okay. every way other than the name. This was going to be my closing. Oh. Thing. Okay. I, don't, I don't know if we're going to return back. Do we have more to say about James Bond? You know,
1: one thing I just want to say is that... Uh, there were some fran- friends and family members who spurred some ideas yeah. for this, and I just want to quickly say thank you to them. They are Clayton, Louise, Seth, and Olivia. So thank you all for your comments. We, they were kind of weaved in throughout, and yeah. we really appreciate it.
0: Then my closing, this is my random James Bond trivia, is that there's actually an asteroid named after James Bond, and the designation is 9007 James Bond. So, no I, way I thought that was kind of cool <laughs> yes, because apparently they're all numbered so the 9006 and then they have 9007 and they called it James Bond oh which I was kind yeah, of cool. yeah
1: that's really cool
0: <laughs> So that, cool that's my random James Bond trivia to close things up for, I like uh, it for I like it yeah but uh, other than that, Keith, thanks for being yeah, on' with us again. Yeah, thanks for coming and, by. You know, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone, uh, thanks for listening. And Dave, thanks for the topic and, and supporting the podcast. Next week, I think we're actually going to have the first episode of the Rick and Morty podcast. And for the foreseeable future, the plan is to alternate episodes because... Uh, we only have so much time in a week, and and we can't start so many podcasts. So We've got to uh,
1: keep that quality high. We have to
0: keep the quality <laughs> but high. But the quantity and, and might and suffer yes, a little. <laughs> yes, yeah. the frequency might go down. So uh, you can check that out. It's going to have its own RSS feed. We will share that, though, so you'll be able to find it. But for at least the foreseeable future, uh, Jedi Council is going to go to every other week, and then Rick and Morty will be every other week uh, on the off weeks for Jedi Council. Um, So, yeah, look forward to that. Uh, You can check that out. I'm sure we'll just share all of that through our Jedi Council Twitter and Facebook page. Um, But otherwise, that's all I've got for today. So, everyone else good? Any last... uh Thank
1: you. Have a great week. And we will write... these thoughts up in a blog post soon about bond
0: sounds good all right uh you'll hear from us in two weeks thank you for listening to the jedi council podcast a member of the geek therapy podcast network you can find more information about our podcast or blog at www.jedi-council.com if you would like to support the jedi council podcast please check out our patreon page at www.patreon.com slash jedi council The views expressed on this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Additionally, this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help.